Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're, You're listening, listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis. Joining me today to break down the week in media and marketing, sadly for the last time, is Hannah Blackston. Hello. And excitingly, for the first time, is Xander Wilson. Hello. Later in the Mumbrella cast, Brittany Rigby will be talking to CEO of PhD Mark Jarrett about transitioning into his first CEO role. It was uh, an initial challenge, which then became a, a bigger challenge in March. Managing costs and risks after COVID set in. Really getting them to, to redo three to six months' work in, uh, in probably three to six weeks. And the pitching pipeline, plus how 2021 is shaping up. Q4 is looking surprisingly strong from a, a consumer sentiment point of view. But first, the week's topics. COVID delayed radio ratings. Who are the big winners this time around? And I sent you cybersecurity incident and how the business is dealing with it. It's radio ratings time again, the second installation since ratings returned. And there's a few interesting aspects to come out of the figures that hit our inbox this morning. Xander, welcome to the Mumbrella cast. You've got a pretty deep history in covering radio prior to Mumbrella, and you wrote about the Sydney survey today. Ben Fordham is two from two. Kyle and Jackie O are back in the number two. What were the biggest takeouts from Australia's most heavily populated city? Um, it was actually a pretty flat book in Sydney, to be honest. Um, obviously, uh, 2GB and 9 Radio will be pleased with... Ben's result, uh, but in saying that, he has slipped, and 2GB has slipped backwards a little bit both surveys, and and they do say that you know three surveys in a row can form a trend, so they'll be looking for that to go back up next book, uh, but they wouldn't be too concerned about it at this stage. As you mentioned there, Carl and Jackie O, the juggernaut continues, uh, still rating way above the rest of the FM competitors there. Uh, and a good result for Smooth FM. I uh, just spoke to Paul Jackson and and he was more than pleased that that, that station is just really continuing to dominate that music-driven space on, on the FM band. Let's talk about Ben Fordham just very quickly. You mentioned the slight drop. How slight was it? And do you think it would be a concern at the moment? We're talking less than a ratings point. So I think this one was uh, down negative 0.7. It's not something they'll be too concerned about at this stage, but um, it, it's it's not showing showing the signs that I guess 3AW is showing. But I don't think it's really fair to compare the two nine radio stations across the markets at the moment because Melbourne's in lockdown. We're seeing the talk radio really dominate. So um, there are all those sorts of things in terms of attribution and that sort of thing. Alan Jones listeners. Uh, sort of transitioning over to Ben Fordham and, and Nine Radio trying to pull in younger listeners. So you'd have to give that, I think, about six months really to level out and, and find out where Ben really sits in that market, whether he's going to continue to rate up where, where Alan was or or whether he's going to find his own his own spot on that spectrum. And just before we move on to another market, Xander, any surprises for you from the Sydney ratings? Not really any surprises. Uh, today, FM saw a jump of one point in breakfast, but that's sort of a moot point at the moment given Grant Blackley announced last week that they're going with a completely new show next year. So um, no no real surprises. It'd be very interesting to see what Today FM do next year. Um, they'll be under the microscope again, and we can't wait to see what they do. 
Hello, you reported on the Melbourne market where ad man Russell Howcroft and his co-host Ross Stevenson managed to grow their lead in FM Christian O'Connell and Gold also managed to grow very slightly. How did the market fare down south and were there any surprises for you? Um, no big surprises. I guess I also spoke to Nine Radio's Greg Burns this morning um, and as Sandra said, they've got to be happy with those results. It's obviously... It last survey could have been seen as an anomaly. Um, and the fact that they've repeated that again this survey, 3AW saw another massive jump for a completely new host in breakfast, but also someone who isn't from a radio background. That's a really big turnaround for them. Um, the anomaly there, of course, is lockdown. Obviously, talk radio lends itself to lockdown really well. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if they can maintain that in survey eight, which will you know, be outside of lockdown. Um, but yeah, they've got to be happy with it. And Greg said that they're really happy with how Nine Radio is performing overall. This is one of their best surveys they've had in recent memory. So that focus on local content and kind of returning local speakers to local markets is really paying off for them. On the flip side, Gold still performing really well in Melbourne. I also spoke to ARN's Duncan Campbell um, really happy with how that's performing. Christian O'Connell doing great. The survey was better for FM than last survey, but as Xander said, it's such a difficult market and one survey doesn't really tell you anything. I think in the next couple of surveys for Melbourne, we'll start actually seeing of that some of that kind of FM change, if there is FM change. But otherwise, it was kind of business as usual other than that massive AM climb. And it's interesting in Melbourne, of course, because like uh, we've just discussed, they're coming out of lockdown quite soon. Was there any mention from the people that you spoke about uh, in terms of the effects of what lockdown may have had on the radio ratings or was that just cast to one side? Every station was expecting the lockdown to have a big impact. Obviously, you know, people aren't going to work. So your your drive and also your breakfast have changed slightly. People are staying at home. I know there's been a really big push towards kind of um, heritage and traditional over the last couple of months just because people are kind of craving that normalcy. But then also talk radio, guaranteed to be a big winner during this time. They're so connected to their audiences. Um, so I think it was to be expected that we were going to see talk radio perform so well during this time. But what will be really interesting and what Greg actually said to me about Nine Radio is he thinks this has given people a chance to discover Nine Radio and it's in those markets and whether those listeners stay on after the pandemic ends, that's what ends. I'm speaking very, like, you know, when COVID ends in a couple of weeks. That's very um, uh, exciting <laughs> that COVID's ending in a couple of weeks. Hello, it's me, scientist Hannah Blackiston. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if when we move out of lockdowns, if talk radio can hold on to those audiences. Very quickly, Xander, let's talk about Brisbane and Perth as well. Obviously, the market's not just Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have huge amounts of time to talk about it. But Xander, key takeaways from those two markets? Yeah, so in Brisbane, while Nova uh, is still the number one station, that's probably not the biggest story. The biggest story, I think, is is looking at, at 4BC. Uh, they've got a new breakfast host in Neil Breen um, and after a couple of books he's starting to claw back some of what he lost um, so that's a really good result for them 
Um, and looking further, looking further into Brisbane, the result for, for ARN's 97.3 will be far from ideal for them. They've spent the last 12 months or so really putting a lot of effort into that station, trying to get it back up there with, with the top station. They obviously brought Robin Bailey back in for the breakfast show and, and now the station's sort of um, seeming to, to slip away. It could be early doors there, but, but they would, they would like that rating up there with, with the top one. So, um, definitely looking into next year, 97.3, um, a station that has struggled a bit over the past few years will, will be one to watch. Uh, looking at Perth, um, the big story from Perth is that Gary Roberts has taken 96 FM to number one for the first time since Survey 6 of 2013. Uh, incredible, really. In the last 18 months, it's it's doubled its share. Uh, bringing Fred Bodica back is looking like a masterstroke now, uh, and it will be really interesting to see whether they can hold on to that top spot as the overall station, even though uh, the Bodica Breakfast Show isn't rating number one, Nova is. Uh, so that's the big, big, big uh, things out of Perth. Um, and just finally looking at Adelaide, Although we saw uh, Jody and Soto bounce back to number one on FM for breakfast, um, just a shout out to to the new boys on the block down there, Ben and Liam. Brand new breakfast show this year. Um, they were the number one FM show last survey, and they're still rating up at just around the eleven mark, which is really an incredible effort in their first year in the market. Uh, so they were probably my big takeaways from those other markets. Next, I sent you a cyber security incident that brought Media Portal to a grinding halt. On October 27, Mumbrella reported that Accenture was investigating a cybersecurity issue that had disrupted its media portal product after an announcement was made by the company through the ASX. On October 30, Accenture announced a trading halt, and on November 5, Mumbrella reported that parts of media portal were still down. The business also estimated that the attack had an immediate impact on the company's net profit before tax of 7 to 8.5 million in FY21. Hannah, you've stayed on top of this story since the beginning. What has the fallout been for Icentra? It's difficult to predict what the fallout is as they still kind of haven't got back on track. I think the biggest thing to point out here is that Icentra has a lot of very big government clients. I know we were talking to some people who were saying Queensland rely on them quite heavily. Obviously, Queensland just going through an election, that's going to be a pretty bad time for this service to not be up and running. But it's beyond that, if you're looking at faith in a company, if you're an investor in a company, this is a big hit to iCenture. I think some kind of key points, uh, share price is really low. Most recently, it was trading at 13 cents, which gives it a market cap of 26 million. Um, in 2015, that market cap was 986 million. So that's a massive fall. Um they haven't given guidance recently. So what that 7 to 8.5 million represents is hard. But as of last year's EBITDA, it would be 41%. So that's a pretty big hit. Um, I think if you look across social media, you can see as well a lot of frustration from iCenture clients. They're not really, they weren't providing that much guidance on when these services would be back up and running. And I think what that's likely to see is these clients who have really long running contracts, you're going to be able to get out of those. If the service you're paying for isn't being provided to you and you have no idea when it will be back, 
that's a really easy get out of jail free card, which is just going to see those clients go to Accenture's competitors, which is then going to have further long-term impact on Accenture. So I think it's kind of hard to underplay, to overplay, sorry, how bad this has been for them. Um, I suspect this won't be the end of what we see. Um, Also worth noting that they haven't actually provided any guidance on what kind of a cyber attack this was. I know The Guardian, I think, was reporting that data was being held and money was being demanded for that data. Um, It meant that iCenter employees weren't able to access the systems either. So as well as it being a problem for clients, it's also been a massive problem for the business as a whole. And you don't want to be a business in media monitoring when you've just had it proven that your data is insecure. So it'll be really interesting to see if they can recover from this. Um, I think next year is going to be a rough one for them and a rough one for all I center investors. But yeah, it, I guess if they can turn it around and prove their value, then they've got a chance to come out the other side of this. But as of right now, it's not looking great. Like you mentioned, we still don't really know when everything's going to return back to normal. CEO Ed Harrison has thanked customers for their patience, uh, but hasn't given too many more details above that. We've also seen some very interesting behaviour from iCentric competitors, uh, namely Stream, who uh, maybe you might call it smart or aggressive or opportunistic. Anything and everything in between as well, where they've come onto Twitter and uh, attempted to get in on some of the conversations between iCenture and their customers, uh, particularly those uh, complaints. You alluded to it a little bit before, but let's just revisit Will this genuinely cause a shift in the market? Or I should rephrase that as, could this genuinely cause a, a shift in the market? Because we still don't know when things will go back to normal. But Accenture's such a big name in the industry. It has history. Like you've said, it has a lot of clients, a lot of them on big contracts. Should we expect some sort of shift because of this? Yeah, there's a couple of things at play there. Isuncha, obviously, as you said, one of the biggest names in that space. They boast the majority of government contracts. But Stream is a smaller competitor and a hungry competitor. And we have seen them swooping right in there, being really aggressive with the way they've tried to kind of pull some market share from Isuncha. From what I understand... Some clients have moved towards emergency cover with competitors. What that looks like for long-term, it's hard to tell. It would really depend on whether they can get out of those long-term contracts, which we don't know yet. Um, So it could just shift the needle for now, or it could be a reflection of what will happen in time. I think the thing to watch is next time we see some communication from Accenture, will it reflect we've lost some clients, we're in conversations with clients, or will it reflect we've been able to hold on to those contracts, we've, you know, dropped our offers, whatever whatever they need to do um, to retain that market share. I think the problem is with contracts that you're looking at, which are several years in length, once you lose them, getting them back is hard. And I'm sure I sent her a very aware of that. So, Yeah, the short term will be when we can see how this will play out. Next. 
Brittany Ribby speaks to PhD CEO Mark Jarrett. Mumbrella 360 Reconnected streams online in two weeks on November 17 to 20. There's never been a more important time to put down your tools, step away from the day-to-day tasks, and spend four days absorbing the latest wisdom, research insights, and inspirational tales from the industry's most prominent leaders. In a year unlike any other, this is your chance to set your business up for success in 2021 and beyond. Don't wait. Secure your team's group e-ticket now and pay just $69 per person. Go to mumbrella.com.au slash mumbrella360 for more info. Late last year, the departure of Mark Code from PhD to lead IPG media brands locally led to an opportunity for Mark Jarrett to step into the top job at PhD, his first CEO role. Recently, he spoke to Deputy Managing Editor, Brittany Rigby. Joining me now on the Mumbrella cast is CEO of PhD, Mark Jarrett. Welcome, Mark. Hey, Britt. Good to be here. This is your first CEO role, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? That is right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was was a PhD for the four or so years in a managing director role before uh, before doing the CEO gig. So, yeah, definitely my, uh, my first go at it. Good to know that my research served me well there. So you took over from Mark Code at the end of last year. Yeah, what December that, last year, yeah. What was that initial transition like, moving from the role that you were in into a CEO role? Yeah, well, I mean, it was uh, it was uh, an initial challenge, which then became a, a bigger challenge in March, but I'm sure we'll get on to that. Um, look, I think... Um, I think uh, all the decisions that I and we made from 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 that point in terms of um, uh, promoting people internally, so as well as myself being promoted internally, um, uh, Lucy Formosa Morgan and Stuart Bailey, who were um, uh, chief trading officer and chief digital officer, moved up to joint managing directors. Um, Alex Pacey uh, took on a, a new role as uh, chief strategy and planning officer. Uh, and Stephanie Douglas Neal, we also uh, promoted um, into a GM of Sydney role. So we ended up uh, really reorganising that whole exec team, um, but certainly focusing that on on people that had done such a great job for us uh, already. So there was a bit of bit of work in terms of uh, uh, the team resetting uh, all our expectations and the way we worked with, uh, with each other, which. Uh, which worked uh, great. Obviously, um, you're always going to miss Cody. He was uh, amazing and a, a, an awesome uh, a boss and leader to have for, for those past uh, four years for me at, at PhD. And, and he'd been here a couple of years beyond that as well. Um, but certainly, we kind of uh, reset and worked through all that in, in December and January. Um, and uh, and we were certainly uh, in a great place um, and, and ready to roll come sort of February time. Did all of those people being kind of moved around and all those positions in the puzzle being better down at the same time help you, do you think? How did that work for for you getting to know a leadership team that was also new in their roles in a lot of the cases? Well, I think it was um, was as easy and, and smooth as it can be. Um, everyone already uh, worked here, knew people, knew everyone, knew, um, knew the plumbing as it were. Um, it's always much more uh, difficult and, and a, a longer process when you're bringing people in externally. And I think um, 
I think if it's a business that needs to reinvent or um, has got got challenges, then I think different perspectives um, uh, and bringing in new people to look at how you can uh, reinvigorate businesses can work well. I think um, when you had a business that performed as well as we had um, for the past three or four years, it, it made absolute sense to um, focus on rewarding people eternally that had been part of that. So um, there was a bit of a resetting within that, but um uh, it wasn't wasn't that tough, um, uh, and wasn't the the, the biggest challenge that, uh, as it turned out, we were going to face. So many agencies are almost defined by their CEO in some way. So the CEO's reputation and the agency's reputation is really tightly woven together. I remember, you know, multiple people have told me that one of the reasons that they feared PhD so much on a pitch list was because they feared Mark Code in a pitch setting, for example. What do you want PhD to be known for under you, a different Mark, a new Mark era? Yeah, I think um, I think that could be slightly overstated. I think um, PhD um, has always, since its inception as a, a single agency um, in London in 1990, um, has always stood for um, smarter thinking, um, strategic, um, uh, and planning smarts that are going to make a fundamental difference to um, a client's business, deliver growth, approach things from an innovative perspective. Um, and there's been a whole, whole heap of CEOs in a whole heap of countries um, that have um, stuck to and, and focused on that as something that um, that we've uh, wanted to, uh, aspired to, and, and, and often succeeded in delivering for our clients. So that consistency of the approach of some of the uh, really cool tools and, and marketing science that we apply to that is still going to be there. So I think that's uh, that's fundamental. I think it's also about the the collective team and, and leadership of the the overall agency. So, five, six, seven, um, and and even down to the overall leadership, twenty or so individuals coming together to to drive the direction for the agency and, and the vision for the agency. Um, I think certainly for me, it's about um, uh, delivering uh, consistency and uh, and integrity and 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 honesty in the conversations that we have. Um, but I've been part of doing that um, already. So um, obviously, the CEO is important, but um, uh, it's certainly not the be all and end all. There's there's a lot of things as I've just said there that are, that are crucial as well. Mm. Let's jump to COVID. You've alluded to it a little bit, and no conversation these days is quite complete without a good chat about it. Talk me through the early days of it. At what point did you realize that it was something that would require your attention, would require some kind of response, an urgent response, in fact? Yeah, talk me through those first few weeks. Yeah, I guess it kind of... It, it... I guess if you think about January, February, it was kind of kind of sneaking up there a little bit. I think everyone was looking at, at SARS and, and some of the other uh, mini pandemics. I'm sure that's not the right t- correct term for it that had happened previously, and and how they'd never really uh, had the the full fundamental effect that that obviously COVID has. Um, but certainly, as soon as the uh, the Ruby Princess. Uh, uh, disaster uh, uh, happened uh, it became very clear very quickly that um, it was time to um, to shut down I think um, ourselves and I think most agencies shut down on that um, that Monday I think it was the, the 16th of March and, and certainly most businesses by the following Monday had followed suit so so the whole business community wherever it was kind of moved there very quickly in a sort of 10 to 14 day period 
Um, so I think that was, I think deciding to do that was, was the easy part. I think uh, trying to work out what to do next um, in in mid to late March and, and April was was probably the, the the most stressful and difficult time um, uh, for us, but but I'm sure for, for everyone as well. Um, the the level of uncertainty at that point um, uh, was, from a business point of view, was uh, was almost was more worrying for a business than, than the health uncertainty that was obviously uh, the concern for everyone and, and society as a whole. Mm. What were the conversations that you were having with your people and your clients at that point in time? I think, um, I think the, um, I think the conversations with the clients came a bit, bit later. I think everyone went and, and focused internally for a few weeks and, um, uh, and there was a lot of there was a lot of communication from us about comparing to to what's happened in other other markets. So um, we did a piece with PhD um, China and the Chief Strategy Officer um, there for our clients, where we um, uh, talked to um, talked to the experience from January February uh, in China, which uh, everyone found uh, found interesting. So we were certainly trying to. Um, provide as much information as possible. I think the danger within that, though, as well, was that um, everyone was providing as much information as possible. So um, the uh, hourly useful, but um, it's coming from so many angles, COVID update bulletin information that everyone was getting from all different sources um, made it difficult to ensure that you were providing something that was really genuinely relevant and interesting, especially at a time when people were looking at cancelling things, moving things, um, delaying things, replanning three months' worth of work in uh, in two or three weeks. Um, so there was a lot of short-term conversations as well um, with clients in terms of uh, organising and ensuring we had the right approach for them literally tomorrow, next week, the next two weeks, the next month, which, which involved a huge amount of, of commitment from our team because we were – uh, really getting them to, to redo three to six months' work in uh, in probably three to six weeks. So um, a huge amount of uh, of effort from from all the team um, for our clients um, in that period, and, and certainly something that um, has been recognised by, by a lot of our clients um, uh, when they look back as well. Yeah, how about your entire workforce? Like many companies moving to a work from home model. How does that change your approach to leadership and galvanizing people and keeping people working together in teams, but also individually kind of motivated and mentally well? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a big challenge. I think um, I think the teams have actually done done pretty well in terms of um, the the communication and ability through Teams or, or Zooms for 10, 12, 15 of them to, to catch up, have regular catch ups and, and um, chat, even in a 2D way, um, actually ended up probably being okay. I think um, the biggest challenges are around uh, learning, especially for um, those with less than five years' experience. The amount of learning you get on the job, sat next to somebody, talking to them, um, understanding and solving issues with people while you're there rather than trying to work your way through it or put in a meeting to have a call in uh, two days time um, uh, was a massive challenge um, from a learning perspective and then I think culturally at a whole agency level the um, uh, 
the cross-pollination of, of ideas, of just chatting to people and seeing different people other than those few that you work closely with is um, is obviously lost. Um, when you add on to certainly those first couple of months, the just massive increase in uh, in workload that was being uh, being asked of everyone, it, it became uh, it became a difficult time. But it was also uh, a time where everyone did really lean into it collectively, which uh, which we've been hugely grateful for. Sticking with people, obviously, agencies across the entire industry, other businesses across the industry have had to cut costs and kind of manage risk. There have been lots of redundancies, lots of stand downs, widespread pay cuts. How did PhD approach managing costs and risk? Yeah, so we we had to, we, we kind of moved to it fairly quickly. Um, uh, and this was certainly something that was uh, was a group approach as well. I think um, uh, Omnicom agencies, PhD, OMD, um, Hearts have got their their own identities, and we certainly focus uh, on the brands themselves, uh, particularly. But certainly, coming together at a time of crisis was uh, was definitely helpful. Um, uh, and some examples where we were able to potentially where a client was. Uh, had gone quiet for uh, for whatever reasons. We were able to move people not just onto other accounts within PhD, but to other agencies, or other agencies move people to PhD to uh, to make it work. So, certainly from our perspective, um, we did go hard on um, on holidays and getting everyone to collectively uh, agree to take all their holiday this calendar year, um, which make, does make a real difference to um, uh, where our books it, which means that we were able to then focus uh, money in the PL not on accrued holiday but on uh, on salaries for the year um, beyond the holiday um, uh, we did make three redundancies but out of a staff of over 200 or so that was as much a, a structural thing um, as, uh, as as anything to particularly do with covid uh, beyond that we were able to pay everyone a hundred percent of their uh, their pay um, uh, and have been able to uh, maintain a lot of the other things that um, that, that we uh, that we normally do as well. So I feel that um, overall, given the the, the picture in the uh, in the market collectively, um, we've been able to um, uh, deliver to our staff a, a sense of normality and certainty, at least in their um, in their job security and, and their job pay across this year. Um, which uh, which hopefully uh, counts for something in that space. It was uh, a difficult one to manage, but but I think we've done um, done as best as we can in in such a difficult space. Even something as quote unquote simple, I suppose, as paying people the salary that they would usually get is incredibly impressive this year. It, it hasn't been a widespread thing. How much do you think that gave your people? confidence and security and kind of bolstered their sense that things were going to be okay internally as well as externally i think um i think maybe half half as much as uh, as as you'd like and i think um and the reason i say that is because um everyone's perspective on these things is, is different and i think for some people that was that was great they knew um others that maybe hadn't uh experienced the same level of, of, of security or, or communication so they were appreciative and they were in a um uh a, an easier setting to to work from home and to um 
to get on with things and feel uh, feel good from that perspective. Equally, though, there are um, uh, people that work for us that are in in much more difficult settings. Um, be that uh, for, for any sort of reason in terms of um, their home set up, um, uh, uh, other things and other pressures that uh, have just been uh, massively uh, exacerbated by the whole crisis. Um, uh, the Melbourne office in particular massively affected. Um, and so really something that um, one would presume you would get anyway isn't, isn't necessarily um uh, something that you can take that much comfort from. So, I'm sure it helped, but but maybe not as as much as we'd uh, we'd like to think uh, when when we're trying to uh, sort these things out. That there's a whole heap of other pressures and complicated things that that can affect everybody. Mm. This podcast is obviously an audio medium, but I can see your face while we're chatting. We've also got a video conference happening at the same time, and I can see from your background that you're in the office. How have you thought about and approached bringing people back into the office, particularly in kind of those non-Melbourne markets? Um, yeah, well, we were um, we were starting to bring people back um, prior to that that second wave in in Victoria and New South Wales, um, and we'd had twenty five percent for um, a few weeks and, and had just moved to fifty percent when um, when that uh, when that hit. So we we stayed at at fifty percent for uh, an extended period of time and, and have recently moved to um, to seventy five percent capacity um, uh, in the in the Sydney office for uh, for example. Um, certainly, uh, if people don't want to come in at the moment or have health issues or any other myriad of reasons why, uh, quite rightly, they, they'd be happier at home, that they, they absolutely can can still do that. Um, but fundamentally, we are um, uh, trying to, to slowly move uh, move people back. There is the capacity in the office to, to do that now. Um, and I certainly think think long term is, is, um, is more... Uh, what we need to think about and as we move into 2021 and, and I certainly envisage um, I mean we had a flexible working policy and have had one for years but less than five percent of our staff used it it was it was kind of not intentionally just something that people never really took advantage of unless they had a real specific reason for it um, and I think that's gonna um, obviously just completely flip so um, uh Given it's such a service business and and also such a lot of learning um, uh, and ideas come from from being connected, we are keen to get people everywhere, including Melbourne. Although it will take uh, take longer back into the office three, maybe four days a week, um, but absolutely um, are keen for people to uh, spend a day or two um, working from home, uh, having that flexibility. Um, uh, and thinking about different ways of, of working, um, and certainly in certain roles, um, they could be coming in uh, a day or two a month if that's uh, if that's one where they're not necessarily as uh, relationship or service based. Mm. Despite what's been a very difficult year, PhD was named Media Agency of the Year at the recent Mumbrella Awards. Well, given, the- given we're doing this, lot, I even I even brought the. Uh, Brought the trophy in uh, to the, the video con. There you go. That's very <laughs> impressive. That's a lot of forethought. <laughs> what did that mean for you and the team in your first year as CEO in the year that has been 2020? Was it a bit sweeter than it usually would feel? Oh, I don't know. It's, they're, they're, they're quite tough to win. I mean, um, uh, 
there are a lot of awards, but um, but Media Agency of the Year is uh, is one that recognises uh, everyone's efforts, um, and there's only one of those rather than necessarily um, uh, different categories for for different pieces of work. So it is a massive endorsement of uh, of everything that that everyone's done. Um, and I think also presenting to the the judges on the day is quite um, it's quite interesting. The the it's very senior judges um, uh, in the industry, so taking them through what we've done, um, probably more so presenting it than the, than the written submission, um, really kind of makes you think about um, what we've achieved and what we've managed to to do um, in such a such a, a difficult time, and, and it brings through kind of the growth, um, some of our client wins, but I think more importantly, how well we've delivered for for all of our existing clients and, and looked after those, those client relationships. So fantastic t- to win it, but it's it's not necessarily the winning it that, that's the thing. It's more just the um, the recognition of everything and the, and the summing up of everything that, that goes into that. I'm not sure it was sweeter though, because as exciting as a, uh, a video stream on a, on a, on a screen while you're at your desk is, um, and the, the, the one minute of kind of, and the winner is, uh, it's not the same as, uh, as being with your, your industry peers with people from, from your team and, and, uh, and spending a lot more time than, uh, than perhaps we did celebrating it. So, um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, as great as, uh, the productivity that we, uh, we do get from, uh, video cons and everyone uh, adopting them uh there is still absolutely a place for some face-to-face interaction yeah that's been a real shame for this year hasn't it that you realize just how much you get out of those face-to-face events and those fun nights that are often you know sparkly and fun but also a real great way to celebrate people across the industry yeah yeah definitely and um yeah, it, it is a shame, but uh, there's so many things that could have been a lot worse. I think uh, that's uh, the least of everyone's worries. Yeah, definitely. Aside from the media agency of the year gong, what do you think about when you think about this year's achievements? What are kind of the top things that you're most proud of? Um, no, I think um, uh, I, I do think it it comes down to um, how hard we've worked for uh and with uh our existing clients um we, we've delivered so much for them and the, and they were uh, uh very 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 good in terms of the level of their endorsement for us um uh, but also in terms of the um uh the kind of mps tracking scores we do with them we've seen a massive spiking those so so it's really come through um strongly there uh i think some of the the work um over that time we've done that we've tried to, to bring to the industry a little bit as well in terms of some stuff around mental health. Um, uh, some of the things we've done around um, DNI as well in terms of uh, pride and, and also reconciliation and, and moving to level two of, uh, of uh, the RAP program that we're running um, have been great. I think our focus on innovation um, uh, from a strategy and planning perspective uh, I think it's been been crucial this year. Um, the AFR um, recognised that as well, but I think it also sets us up really well for next year. I think um, as people look for hopefully growth um, uh, into um, into 2021, um, and providing the health outcomes remain strong in Australia, there there isn't a, a significant third wave, and, and the vaccine does. Uh, 
continue to look like it's developing. Um, I think um, that growth um, is something that's going to be crucial. And, and I think that's only going to come by being innovative, um, trying to do things differently and, and really making the leap into, into other ideas as opposed to incrementally um, looking at making everything 1% or 2 or 5% or 10% cheaper. Um, you, you don't get very far with incrementality. So um, uh, definitely a focus there for, for, for us um, uh, and looking to help our, our clients on that journey as well. There's still been pitches this year and there's still been movement of accounts. You won Spotlight, for example. How has PhD found the pitching pipeline this year and has the number of pitches that you've engaged with differed simply because of COVID and the year that we're in? Yeah, I think um, I think there has been less pitches. I think a lot of um, a lot of co- uh, contracts and, um, and and quite rightly have been uh, been maybe rolled or delayed an extra year um, and so on. So I think there has been been less overall um, volume in that. Um, I do think it's incredibly difficult to do a meaningful pitch in the same way that they've been constructed before um, over Zoom or anything like that. Um, so um, that that does make it difficult. Um, and certainly our focus has been around um, uh, renegotiating, extending uh, uh, long-term clients' contracts for, uh, for longer periods. Um, I think uh, it does feel like there will be uh, an uptick in pitches, maybe in Q4, maybe early next year. Um, so I think... Uh, Everyone will be uh, be kept busy as, as they come in. Uh, I just hope that they are designed to uh, drive clients' businesses rather than um, uh, hit a procurement target of making everything 10% cheaper. What's one thing that media agencies should be focused on heading into 2021? Well, I, th- I think for us it is... Um, it is with a sentiment of positivity that we, sh- we should head into 2021. I think... Um, Q4 is looking surprisingly strong from a, a consumer sentiment point of view, um, and also from uh, a, a media investment point of view. There are a lot of clients that had delayed um, investment throughout the year to, to the back end that are, that are genuinely investing that money now, um, as opposed to delaying it into, into completely cancelling it. Um, and I think that there's a, a positive picture for, for Q1. If the health outcomes are, are looking strong through to Easter, um, then we will be in, in a place where we're looking to uh, have clients that are investing back in, into their, their marketing and their business at similar levels to, to 2019, hopefully. Um, and then it's about how, how do we help them grow? How do we help them deliver growth um, uh, in a world for some that will be similar and for some that will have changed quite drastically in terms of um of uh the products they offer uh how they're viewed how they transact with customers so uh, really understanding uh those those shifts and those changes and how how some areas have maybe experienced five years of, of growth and acceleration or even de- uh, uh decline uh accelerate decline over over a, a one year period that would normally take five or more years is going to be really important as well. And my last question, and it's one that I often start with, but we'll end with it this time, is how are you going personally? How are you? How are you feeling? How has 2020 felt for you? Well, it's uh, it's all in the uh, 
in the timing, um, in terms of uh, uh, a bit of taking on uh, on this sort of new role, and then all that hitting uh, literally two or three uh, two or three months later. But look, um, I said I had been the MD here for four years, so that made it easier. And you couldn't possibly have been prepared for this if I'd been the CEO for forty years prior. I still wouldn't be uh, be prepared for this. So so everyone's in, in the same boat. Um, I was probably doing a bit pretty shit in March and April. It was uh, it was very stressful trying to work out what um, what was going to happen, what the scenarios were, what the the worst case implications were for for the business, and, and then more importantly the the effect that would have on people. Um, but we came through that well and, and positively. The uh, the uh, best case, slightly shitter plan as as kind of uh, delivered, which is. Uh, which is good, all things considered. So, um, so certainly since uh, since June, um, been uh, been more positive um, and uh, been doing doing pretty good. Um, seen a lot more of the family as well. Haven't been on a plane since uh, who knows when, February. I'm sure they're enjoying that as well, just as much as you are. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Thanks, Brittany. Good to uh, good to chat to you. And that's it for this week. But before we go, a big thank you to Hannah Blackston, who departs my umbrella literally in a few hours uh, and has served as acting editor most recently. Hannah, thank you so much for your huge contribution. Um, For a change, I've actually had the uh, pleasure of sharing a socially distanced room with you to record the podcast. In complete darkness, I might add, because the the light seems to have gone off in the office, uh, such as the frenetic action outside where the sensors are. Uh, but it has genuinely been a, a pleasure working directly with you for, for the short amount of time that, that I've been able to. Uh, and on behalf of Mumbrella uh, and, of course, uh, myself, and I know Tim Burrows as well, uh, we wish you all the very best in your next move, uh, which I believe is to MNC Partners as a senior account manager. Yeah, it is. I am starting on Monday, so no time off. But it has been a pleasure to be here and I've loved being part of the Mumbrella team throughout this time, obviously seen it through quite a few changes, but it's in a very exciting iteration. More lights just went off. The the office is shutting down. It's a podcast. We don't need lights. Um, Yeah, really excited about the future of Mumbrella. Obviously, we've just welcomed our new editor, Olivia, who I'm sure will join us on the or join you on the podcast sometime soon. But it's been a wild last day, radio ratings um, and everything else, and I will probably miss it once I've recovered. Thank you very much, Hannah. As you did mention, we will have uh, the new managing editor for news and analysis, uh, Olivia, on the podcast in the very near future. And also great to have you on board this week as well, Xander. Thanks for getting involved and thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you.